I want to emphasize everything that Pastor left us for announcements. Very, very important weekend coming up next weekend. And uh, we are going to be blessed not only by the Word of God, but by the ministry of God's Spirit. And uh, that's probably a little bit the purpose of uh, what we've been doing in Bible study last week and this week. Last week, uh, we discussed the five-fold ministry, and that is five types of leaders that God gives to the church. And we talked about apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. We call that the five-fold ministry. But this week, I want to just go a little bit further uh, in this second part and talk about several other gifts that God gives to the church. And uh, so instead of fivefold, this week is ninefold. It's not a math problem. problem. I promise we won't come back next week with 13fold. Um, but uh, ninefold refers to the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. These are gifts that God places within the body. And I would say at the outset of tonight that while for many places, many congregations, churches, whole denominations, this just isn't a factor at all. They don't even believe this. They are cessationists. They believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased uh, after the uh, first century church. They're cessationists. They believe everything ceased. We are not cessationists. We are continuous, if that's even a word, which is not. Let me say it this way. We are revivalists. We believe that everything that the first century church experienced, we are able to experience today. Everything that they believed, everything they practiced, everything they taught, we make an effort to replicate that because we are revivalists. We believe that the gifts and the work of the Spirit continue in our age. And so uh, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be kind of bouncing around in that chapter a little bit if you want to open your Bible and kind of keep it handy. And we're going to start right at the beginning. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and uh, he's writing to what I would say is a little bit of a troubled church. In fact, if you read through 1 Corinthians, uh, you think he's kind of frustrated about half the time. And there's good reason for that because he worked in Corinth for 18 months, helped start this church, and now he's, he's somewhere else and he's writing back to them. And he's heard of all kinds of issues and problems, some of which involve what we call the gifts of the Spirit. And so that's where we pick it up. It's in the practical section of 1 Corinthians. And, uh, and here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I wouldn't want you to be unaware, but not just unaware. I wouldn't want you to be uh, without understanding of spiritual gifts because they are so important to any apostolic church. In, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are several images of the church given in the New Testament. The church is compared to a family. It's compared to an army. Uh, the church is compared to a temple, a tabernacle, a bride, a body. And every one of those images has a lot of important lessons to teach us. But Paul gives emphasis to this metaphor, this comparison of the church is a body. He does that in three of his epistles uh, in a major way. In, in Romans chapter 12, in the first half of Ephesians chapter 4, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, Paul talks about the church being a body and what that means to us. And what's interesting to me is that in all three of those places, in Romans 12 and in the first half of Ephesians chapter 4, and then in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, uh, he talks about the same three truths that apply to the, the church as the body of Christ every single time. He talks about the body must be uh, operating in unity. And anybody who's ever had an awkward fall, you know that your body works better when it's coordinated and it doesn't work so good when it's not. Uh, I've had some of those awkward falls over the years and I will spare you the details, the too much information, the agony, the recovery and all of that. 
But uh, if you've ever had an awkward fall, you know that the body works a whole lot better when it's coordinated. And so Paul talks about the body of Christ working together in unity. But he also talks about the body of Christ working together in diversity. In other words, every part of your body doesn't work the same. Every part of your body doesn't have the same function. Uh, your hands work differently than your feet. Your ears work differently than your eyes. So there's diversity in the body. And then he always brings it around finally to maturity. And maturity is the ability of the body of Christ to accept that we need to do whatever it takes to work in unity and we need to do whatever it takes to respect the diversity that God's put in the body. And when we, when we work in unity and we, when we respect our diversity that we're all different from one another, that's when we see maturity. And that's when the body of Christ grows up like we talked about last week uh, with the fivefold ministry. That the fivefold ministry, uh, they perfect the, the saints and the body of Christ is edified. And so unity, diversity, and maturity, every single time that he talks about the church as a body in any major way, he mentions those same three things. Now, it's impossible to discuss the body of Christ without talking about the Holy Ghost. Because just as your body without your spirit is dead, according to James 2 and 26... Uh, the body of Christ without the Holy Ghost is pointless. It's just a religion. It's just some kind of gathering of human beings. But when the Holy Ghost, when the, the animating spirit of God moves in and through and on his church, his body, all of a sudden you've got spiritual activity. That's why it's always really important, brothers and sisters, when we come to church, it doesn't matter whether it's a prayer meeting, it doesn't matter whether it's a Bible study, Sunday morning, Sunday night, special meetings, whatever we call everything that we do, it's really important that we don't just come and kind of fall into the easy mode of a consumer, that we come and we watch, or we come and we listen, or we come and we're respectfully quiet. Uh, somebody alluded to this on Sunday, I think. Uh, you know, in, in, in the West, especially the modern West, when we want to be very, very respectful, we get quiet. But if you go to the ancient East, the Middle East, the Far East, any of the old Bible lands, you'll find out all you'd need to do is watch a funeral from over there, and you'll find out that when they want to show great, deep respect and love, they get really loud. And that's where the, the lands where the Bible was written, that's how you show great respect, awe, honor, love, worship, meaning you don't get real quiet like an elevator. If you ever wanted to step on an elevator and turn your back to the door and look at everybody and say, I know you're wondering why I called this meeting, that runs through my head in every airport, every single elevator. I'd just love to do it, but I'm not brave enough. But maybe you were wondering why we called this meeting tonight. It wasn't just so we could hear somebody, a talking head, do a little Bible lecture and then we say, hmm, that was nice. That was good. No, we came here because we're the body of Christ. And if we allow the spirit to move, anytime the word of God is present and the people of God are present and the spirit of God is present, anything can happen. It really, really can. I've been in settings a lot smaller than this, been in settings with a lot more uh, people that didn't really know what was going on than this, but anytime the, the word of God and the people of God and the spirit of God come together, there's something so powerful there. It, I, I think you really believe that. I think you join me in that. So, so would you just kind of saturate this lesson with a little bit of prayer or worship or praise or whatever you feel on your heart right now because I'm not really Really that interested in doing a, a lecture tonight, but I am really interested in God's people and God's presence and God's word coming together. And that's when the Holy Spirit motivates and animates the body of Christ. There's nothing more powerful on this planet than the body of Christ when they allow the Spirit of God to move on them. You say, well, that's just emotion. Of course, it involves emotion because we're emotional people and things move us and things are meaningful to us. I don't know anything that's more meaningful to me than the moving, the precious presence of God. I don't know anything that I would choose to respond to emotionally much more than that. 
And so uh, here's the problem that Paul's dealing with in, in Corinthians, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians especially. In the city of Corinth where the church exists and the church has grown, members of the body are actually grieving the Holy Spirit by the way they are doing certain things. And, and in particular, in this chapter, they're grieving the Holy Ghost by the way they are using the spiritual gifts that God has given. And so God's upset and Paul the apostle is upset. Uh, that's a Bible term, to grieve the Holy Ghost, to grieve the Spirit of God. When you grieve God's Spirit, he doesn't make a big scene. He doesn't have a tantrum and stomp out and thunder and lightning and you know you grieved him. No, he just slips away very quietly. And that's why it's so important to make sure that we're always welcoming God and talking to God and telling God we want a clear channel between us and him. That's a good thing to, to talk to Jesus about regularly because uh, David prayed, in, even in the Old Testament, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence. And that's a really important kind of thing to be aware of. And so uh, Paul is telling them in this chapter, particularly, you're not in unity, you don't appreciate the body's diversity, and you lack maturity, and so God's not pleased with what you're doing. And so he wants to set the matter straight on what we're calling the ninefold uh, gifts of the Spirit. Ninefold. There are nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. So he wants to lay it out. Uh, he's, he's really teaching here in this chapter, and I want to try to teach uh, tonight. Uh, in verse chapter number four of chapter 12, he says, here's how it works. There are diversities of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now, you don't need to get concerned about the word diversities and differences because they're the same word in the Greek language. There are diversities, there are differences, it's all the same thing. Diversities, differences, distinctions, different distributions of, of these uh, gifts. Three things, gifts, administrations, and operation. And he says it's the same Lord, it's the same God, it's the same spirit that, that, that does all of this and that makes all of this work. So uh, here, here if we single those three terms out, uh, here's what he's saying. That within the body of Christ, there are differences, uh, there are distinctions, there are diversities of gifts and of administrations and of operations, those three categories. And this is how the body of Christ operates when it comes to spiritual gifts. So first, we've got gifts of the Spirit. Um, and these are the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. These are things that none of us could do in our human skill, human understanding, human ability. They are supernatural gifts. But that's not all that operates in the body of Christ. And here's where sometimes we miss it. And here's where sometimes we exalt certain people with certain giftings because we think that automatically makes them more spiritual than anybody else. And, and that's just not true at all. So there are supernatural gifts. What are supernatural gifts? Well, I would describe these as God moments. When God steps in and he uses a particular individual and it just cuts like a knife in the spirit. For example, someone gives a, a word of prophecy and, and it just, it, everybody knows that wasn't that person, that was God speaking. Somebody uh, stands in a service or they're seated in a Bible study or whatever and they give a message in a, 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 an unknown tongue and then there's an interpretation and if, if you're here when that happens, you know what we do. There's just kind of a hush that comes over uh, this place and it's a holy hush and we know enough now that we wait on an interpretation because that's what we're instructed to do in the scripture and so we're waiting for God to speak that's a God moment I'll tell you what else is a God moment when God steps in and heals somebody that the doctor said couldn't be healed or he gives a miracle to somebody that had an impossible situation that's a God moment those are supernatural gifts of the spirit they're they're gifts. They are God moments that can't be explained any other way. And uh, a prayer that 
I'm encountering um, in, in traveling some different camp meetings and conferences this summer in different districts of, of our particular fellowship. And, and, and I'm, I'm encountering this, this prayer that people are praying and, and we need to pray it here because we're part of that body and, and, and it's God do something in our midst that is unexplainable. Do something in our midst that is uncontainable. Do something in our midst that by any human means it can happen. That's not to draw attention to us. That's to draw attention to God and it's not just for the entertainment or the excitement of religious people that already know all of this. It's for the attraction of sinners to the message of the gospel because Jesus is the one who said and I if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me that's certainly talking about his crucifixion but it's talking about more than that anything that lifts Jesus high draws people to him that's why our worship is important. That's why our prayer is important. So gifts, supernatural gifts. And then there are administrations. And I would call these the steering gifts of the body of Christ. So there's supernatural gifts, then there's steering gifts. You could call them leadership gifts, except not all of them are something that you would necessarily see but they are the steering gifts that help the body of Christ, especially in its local form, move and progress and grow. And so around a church like ours, we have many gifts that help steer this. Many of them you'll never see in the pulpit, but we wouldn't be what we are and wouldn't be able to do what we do as a church if it wasn't for some giftings that help pastor steer this church and, and lead this church. So we, we don't, we don't mess up the, the order. Pastor's the leader, but under his leadership, there are steering gifts in our midst, and we thank God for them. So, so these are what I would call anointed abilities. Anointed abilities. Um, you, you know, there are human abilities that can be anointed by God. Uh, so, somebody said uh, to, to some pastor somewhere one time said, wow, you have a, a, a really great um, um, church here. And the pastor was reminded of a story uh, of a farmer with a field. He said, yeah, we've got a great church here. They said, well, God really gave you this great church. And he said, yeah, it's like a farmer with a field. Somebody came to the farmer and said, man, God sure gave you a great field and a great crop of wheat. And the farmer replied, you should have seen this field when God had it all to himself. In other words, it took some work and, and, and a church, growing a church and leading a church, it takes some, some work and, and God will give people with anointed ability. So this isn't supernatural gifts. These are steering gifts. They're gifts that are natural abilities, but anointed by God. Uh, aren't you thankful when, when we have one of those moments in service when uh, the team up here gets singing and those musicians get playing? And let me tell you about the musicians. God doesn't come down and take their fingers and make them go like this. That's a natural ability. But have you ever been in a service where the natural ability of singers and musicians just ushered in the presence of God because it was anointed? And so that's an anointed ability. It's, it's one of the steering gifts, gifts of administrations. And then finally, there's operations. And these are what I would call the serving gifts. These gifts are also pretty much invisible. Uh, these are what I would call willing workers. They, they don't lead. Uh, they don't have any kind of gifting that you might even notice. But you would notice if their gifting wasn't involved in our church. You would notice because you'd be tripping over stuff that got thrown on the floor. You would notice because you would not want to use the restrooms in this building. You would notice because there wouldn't be anybody uh, to maybe teach our children or grandchildren in Sunday school. These are willing workers. They might not be what you would call a steering gift, but they are willing workers. They are a serving gift. And there are so many of these gifts in the body of Christ. So whether it's a supernatural gift or whether it's a steering gift or whether it's a serving gift, these are all equally, hear me, equally important in the body of Christ. See, we do with spiritual gifts what we do with celebrities in our culture. We think that somebody that's prominent 
that just because they're prominent, they must be important. Just because we put their name on a poster for a special event, they must be uh, much more important than the average saint in the average church. See, God's kingdom doesn't operate on the basis of celebrity culture. Just because you're prominent doesn't mean that you're powerful in God's presence. You don't look like you're convinced, so let me say it this way. For some of you, your nose is prominent, but your lungs are important. Okay, so just because you happen to see somebody and it looks so good and it looks so whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're more important or even more gifted. If you are a willing worker, you have a serving gift and you exercise that gift to the best of your ability, it's entirely possible that on judgment day, you're gonna stand ahead in the line in front of somebody else that was more prominent but maybe not as faithful. So we don't have a competition going in the body of Christ. So we have supernatural gifts. These are God moments. Can't be explained by any other means when God uses a human vessel to to bring forth a miracle or a deliverance or a word. Then there are administration steering gifts. These are anointed abilities, very much human abilities, but God anoints them and uses them for his glory. And then there are operations, serving gifts, the willing workers that often are behind the scenes. And then Paul says this, in summary, he said, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, I promise you, you didn't use half those words at supper tonight because that's King James. But let me tell you what that means. All of these gifts, Paul says, they are the expression, they are the manifestation of God's spirit in our lives. Every one of these gifts, whether it's a serving gift or whether it's a steering gift or whether it's a supernatural gift, all of the gifts are important and God anoints it all for the benefit or Paul says for the profit of his church. So everything is anointed. There's no, you know, you get a special anointing because your gift's more public or prominent. Paul focuses next on supernatural gifts and that's where we misunderstand. We think that because the next few verses are about the supernatural gifts, that they must somehow be the most important. But to think that, you'd have to have ignored everything Paul just said. That all of these gifts are given to us to profit or to benefit the church. So the supernatural spiritual gifts that he's about ready to talk about, which is category one that we just talked about, supernatural gifts, God moments. He doesn't talk about them because they're the most important. He talks about them because they're the most misunderstood. And because many times they're the most misused, which is exactly what's happening in Corinth. But Paul makes this case that even though the gifts can be misunderstood and misused, abused, the gifts, we should still want to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation in every apostolic church. Now, we didn't get here by all of our skill and all of our money and all of our political connections. We got here because some elders knew how to pray and God knew how to move on them and they knew how to move with God and the gifts of the Spirit were many times in operation until sinners were convicted and converted and I know we've got nicer stuff now and more technology now and probably more skill sets now but here's what we've got to remember. What got us here was not our connections or our clout. What got us here was not our professionalism. Uh, What got us here was a move of God's spirit and the gifts of God's spirit in operation in the church. Somebody say, I need that. Somebody say, we need that. Somebody say, CCC needs that. Because we do need that. And without that, we become just an average, ordinary church. So here's what Paul uh, is about ready to, to dive into. Before we list the nine supernatural gifts, I would like to give you some cautions about spiritual gifts. These aren't original with me. These basically come from Paul and others who write in the scriptures. So seven, seven cautions about the ninefold uh, gifts, supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Caution number one, don't confuse spiritual gifts with natural talents. 
Don't confuse spiritual gifts with natural talents. So in other words, what I'm saying is just because you have an anointed ability does not grant you some kind of spiritual authority. Just because you have an anointed ability doesn't mean that you have necessarily spiritual authority. So some of the people with the most spiritual authority that I've ever encountered in my life, they're actually uh, not real boisterous and not real public about it. They just have that kind of spiritual authority. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why, I just remember this. Brother Tom Burns, a Minden, Louisiana, an old prophet of God. He's gone now, but he mentored people like Brother Lee Stone King and, and just an amazing man of God. And Brother Burns, was, he was a prophet. He was amazing. One time a pastor from somewhere in the United States called Brother Barnes, got his office number in Minden. Uh, he didn't know Brother Barnes, and Brother Barnes didn't know him, didn't know who it was. Uh, and that pastor was in a crisis, and he just called prophet Tom Barnes. And uh, Brother Barnes picked up the phone. He didn't know who was calling him. This is before the days of caller ID and all of that stuff. Brother Barnes just picked up the phone, answered it. He didn't even say hello. He said, what you need to do is this. And he just read the guy's mail and told him exactly what to do in his church and said, have a good day. God bless you. Click. Now that's amazing spiritual authority. The story I really like is <laughs> it's one, one time some witch in Minden, like a literal witch, like covens and hexes and spells, a witch in Minden um, came to the church and put a curse on Brother Burns, like a real curse, like go home and I don't know what they did, kill a cat or whatever. That, that might not be a witch thing anymore. I don't know. Um, although it might be beneficial for somebody. I don't know. But anyway, whatever that witch did, it was a real curse. These were people that were scary in the evil side of the supernatural realm. It didn't ruffle Brother Burns. He just said, Jesus, put that curse on that witch. <laughs> and the curse was that they wouldn't allow Brother Barnes, that the devil, the demons, wouldn't allow Brother Barnes to rest. They wanted to kill him from exhaustion. Three or four days later, I can't remember the details, that witch called Brother Barnes back, pleading and crying, please take that curse off me. It didn't worry Brother Barnes. That's quiet spiritual authority. So don't confuse supernatural gifts with natural talents. There are people that are loud and boisterous and they may have a great pulpit presence and they may be able to string words together, but that doesn't mean that they have some kind of spiritual authority. They might just have some kind of anointed ability. Don't get that mixed up. Here's something else about supernatural spiritual gifts. And this is really important. I think a lot of people get confused here. Caution number two, don't confuse gifts given to the body with roles that are found in the body. For example, pastoring, we talked about it last week, pastoring can be a five-fold ministry gift that God gives a church a pastor. That's a gift from God. It's a leadership gift. But there's also a body ministry role of pastoring. And CCC is a pretty good example of this because pastor is not the only guy that pastors people here. And I'm not just talking about the church staff. Everybody that's involved in our care ministry, they are exercising the role of pastoring because pastoring is just shepherding people and caring for people and looking after the needs of people. That's all part of pastoring. So they're kind of under pastor. He's our uh, spiritual uh, five-fold ministry leadership gift of pastor but there's other people that have the role of pastoring. Don't confuse, because sometimes people that think, well, I've got this role, then I should have a position in the church. Uh, it's not the same thing. Don't confuse uh, gifts that are given to the body with roles that are found in the body. Caution number three. Uh, this is really important. Be aware that there's such a thing as a gift projection tendency. People can project their gifting, their strength, their ability on everybody else. They start to see everybody else through the lens of their gifting. Can I please tell all of us 
that your gift does not make you superior to other people in the body. I don't care how much, I, I don't care how powerfully God uses you. Your gift was given by God. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his body. And so your gift, no matter what it is, does not make you superior to other people in the body. And I will say this, and somebody might have a problem with this, but supernatural gifts are not more important than natural gifts that are anointed by God. Because Paul just said he gave all of these gifts to us so that the whole body could profit. Caution number four. Realize that operating any gift, I don't care how powerful it is, how much people are moved by it, operating any gift without love is harmful to you, it is worthless to God, and it is destructive to his body. If you operate any gift without love. If you don't believe me, read the next chapter, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, and, and read Paul talking about clanging symbols and all of that stuff, and you'll understand. Caution number five. Don't confuse the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all of that stuff. So, so, so the fruit of the Spirit, that shows your maturity level. But the gifts of the Spirit, that indicates your ministry, not your maturity. So just because you are used in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, just because you're used with anointed abilities, uh, just because you have great serving gifts that are used for the benefit of the body, uh, that doesn't indicate that you're mature. Uh, you might be like Martha, banging pots and pans around in the kitchen, hinting for Mary to come help. That could be you. You might have a wrong motive entirely. Um, I, I think this is really interesting. It's not really part of the lesson tonight, but uh, fruit of the Spirit. Everyone say fruit. That's singular. Fruit, not fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. And, and the reason that's important is because the, the Holy Ghost wants to grow the fruit of the Spirit in you all at the same time. Because there are some people that say, well, I really have peace, so I must be really spiritual. And, and I, I look at them, I think, you don't have peace, you're just lazy. <laughs> just because you have one of them or, or you lean toward one of them, um, you know, somebody say, I have joy. It's like, no, you're just simple. Um, <laughs> just because you have a natural tendency toward something doesn't mean, that was humor, I wasn't taking a cheap shot. Beverly's talked to me all week long about beady eyes of a prophet, all week long. She's mentioned it a hundred times. So, so here's, here's, here's the deal. Uh, just because you lean towards something or you have a strength in one area, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You have to have it all. So if you have lots of love, but you don't have any long-suffering, uh, you've still got a lot of growing to do. Now, on the other hand, gifts of the Spirit, that's plural. Gifts of the Spirit. So with gifts of the Spirit, uh, you can have one but not others and, uh, and God can use you in one and never use you in others. Fruit of the Spirit indicates maturity. Gifts of the Spirit indicate ministry. Uh, caution number six about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, really important caution here. Stay humble and stay teachable as you develop your gift, whatever it is. No matter how gifted you might ever become in the spirit, it does not remove you from your pastor's authority ever. And, and, and th this is a plague in modern uh, Pentecostal Christendom that people that, that seem to be gifted, that they become a law unto themselves and they basically do whatever they want and no, there's no checks and balances and we end up with all kinds of problems. We get our five senses at birth, but how many know you learn to use your five senses as you mature? Well, it's the very same with spiritual gifts. God puts the gifts that he wants you to have in you when you receive the Holy Ghost, but supernatural gifts and, and other kinds of ministry gifts, they develop as you mature. So it's really important to stay humble and stay teachable. Um, I, I would say this just because it probably needs to go on record uh, some, somewhere sometime that if a pastor has a problem with it, then it's likely that Jesus has a challenge with it. 
extremely likely. Don't get out from under your, your covering. It's really important. Um, caution number seven about spiritual gifts. This, this is really important. All gifts, someone say all gifts. Supernatural gifts, steering gifts, serving gifts. All gifts become spiritual gifts if they're used to benefit the body. If your gift is used to strengthen and grow and benefit the body, it's a spiritual gift no matter what kind of gift it is. The Bible does not lock us into tight restrictions or even rigid definitions of spiritual gifts. Furthermore, God is not limited by these first century lists of gifts. There are other lists in the Bible. There's gifts in Romans. There's gifts in, in different epistles uh, of different kind of gifts that God gives the, the body. The gift of hospitality, the gift of helps, the gift of government, the gift of administration. So, th so there's all kinds of different gifts. Uh, God's not limited by these first century lists. Uh, I, I think if, if the Bible was being written, the New Testament today, you might see the gift of Technology, I'm sure glad that somebody knows how to run some of this because most of us don't, I don't. Uh, I long ago ceased to know how to turn the lights on in this room. If I come here alone, thank God for this. I, I, this, this is my light if I come in here alone. This is my light, that's it. I don't know how to do anything else. So I thank God and probably if the Bible was written today, there'd be some kind of gift like that because you say, well, that's not supernatural. Never said it was. It's an anointed ability that benefits the body and that becomes a spiritual gift. So if I could just say in, 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 in closing, yeah, that would make you feel better, wouldn't it? In closing, I'd like to say at the close of caution number seven, that the lists given in scripture of spiritual gifts, um, they are what we would call exemplary lists. They're examples of gifts. They are not necessarily exhaustive lists. There could be other kinds of gifts that God uses just because it's not mentioned in the New Testament. But again, so you've got supernatural gifts, you've got steering gifts, you've got serving gifts, you've got um, the gifts of the Spirit, you've got uh, the uh, gifts of administrations, you've got gift of operations. So Paul goes back and covers the supernatural gifts. One more time. Not because they're most important or highest on the, on the ladder. What's highest on the ladder is being a servant of God. So Paul goes back, not because they're the most important, but because they have a tendency to be the most misunderstood and sometimes the most misused. So here we go. For to one is given, this will be familiar to you, uh, for by one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. To another divers kinds of tongues. Uh, the reason he says it that way, I think, is to distinguish it from our uh, salvation experience where every believer in the New Testament receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But divers kinds of tongues is a different thing. That's when God wants to speak to the whole body, uh, not just fill you with his spirit and give you supernatural evidence. He wants to speak to the whole body. Divers kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. So if you were going to categorize those nine supernatural gifts, it would look like this. Three groups. First of all, there's gifts of revelation. Three of them. There's discerning of spirits. Not the gift of discernment. That's not in the Bible. The gift of discernment. Um, you know, the gift of discernment is usually somebody that really enjoys uh, knowing all the gossip and they say, I've got the gift of discernment. No, you're a gossip. Uh, so it's not the gift of discernment. It's a specific gift. It's the gift of discerning of spirits. There are basically three spiritual categories that we have to deal with. There's the spirit of God. There's the spirit of the devil's kingdom. It could be a demon or whatever. But there's also is this third category, human spirits. And discerning of spirits is actually a very simple gift 
But it's a very profound and powerful one because a lot of people, they're oblivious to this. But if, if the gift of discerning of spirits is present and active, uh, whoever is used in that gift, they know immediately that's a human spirit trying to get attention. That's a demonic spirit trying to interfere or that's the spirit of God. And we need to let that loose and let that be released. And you want to thank God that God uses people uh, sometimes in the direction of even a service that they have that gift operating in them, the gift of discerning of spirits. Then there's the gift of the word of knowledge and the gift of the word of wisdom. And they are different. If I was going to define them, I would say the word of knowledge, that's knowing what. Um, the word of wisdom, that's knowing how. In other words, knowledge is God dropping something in your spirit that you have no way of knowing about somebody. Um, and, and God just tells you and you, you know it. You shouldn't know it. There's no human way to know it, but you know it. That's the word of knowledge. It's knowing uh, what. But the word of wisdom is when God gives you kind of how to go about something. It's not that you don't have the information. You may have too much information. You may have 15 different options and you don't know which way to go or what to do. And, and so God will use people in the word of wisdom and, and they, uh, they're used to speak something and it tells somebody how to proceed or maybe in a service. It, it, it's a word of wisdom, how to proceed with the service. And thank God for those gifts. Those are gifts where God reveals something to his church. Then there's the gifts of communication, prophecy. Prophecy is uh, basically, for, for our purposes, anointed speech. So yes, a prophecy is when somebody stands up and speaks in our native tongue and says something that God is saying. That's a prophecy. Uh, that's anointed speaking. But can I tell you, when pastor stands in this pulpit and he's prayed and sought God and got a word from God for our church, that also falls under anointed speaking. Uh, preaching, if it's done in the power of the Holy Ghost, is really a subset of the gift of prophecy. A lot of people think, well, prophecy, that's when somebody foretells the future. Not in scripture. Read the Old Testament prophets. Most of the time, they're not foretelling the future. That does happen, but it's rare. What happens more times is that they're forth telling. They're telling the God's people what they need to know and what they need to do right now. Aren't you grateful for men and women of God that help lead our church and, and they come and stand in this pulpit and they preach to us the word of God. What they're doing is that's a subset of prophecy. It's anointed speaking from the Holy Ghost and I thank God I'm part of a church like that and I thank God that we have leaders like that and I thank God that Jesus honors us with his word through human vessels. So that's the gift of prophecy. Diverse kinds of tongues already kind of explained that. That's when God wants to speak to us, but he uh, uses somebody to speak in a tongue that is different than ours. It's not our native tongue. And, and we don't understand that. And so that's why this gift is always accompanied by the interpretation of tongues, which is somebody else that they have no clue what was just said, but the person speaking in that different kind of tongue, they didn't know what they were saying. And the person giving the interpretation in English for our purposes, they don't know what they're really saying. Both of them are inspired by God. And my goodness, You've been in services when that happened and isn't that powerful when there's this holy hush and God speaks and you know, like, my goodness, that was God confirming his word. I'm glad to be part of an apostolic church. So those are gifts of communication. And then there's gifts of demonstration. And these are the gifts of healing. Notice that one is unique. The gifts, plural, of healing. No other gift is listed uh, like a plural. Uh, so, so this is gifts of healing. Don't know for sure, but it seems like, it appears like many scholars think that that's because uh, there are so many different kinds of diseases and needs for healing that, that it's a plural gift. So there, there are people that are used by God and it seems like everybody they pray for, for a certain condition, they get healed. And that's not necessarily true across the spectrum. Our, our great missionary, Nathan Herod, has been here and preached our missions conference and preached in our church. And, and, and Brother Herod probably 
probably more than anybody else I know in the entire apostolic movement has seen deaf ears opened. It's just a thing with him. Uh, he, he has uh, confidence before God and God uses him that way. And so he sees other gifts of healing. Uh, but my goodness, it's just, uh, it's, it's remarkable. I remember I was preaching at our general conference once years ago in the global mission service and preached a message. And at the end, I felt to get Brother Charles Robinette, who will be here next weekend, felt to get Brother Charles Robinette and Brother Nathan Herod, both great missionaries, uh, friends. Uh, they've worked together in crusades. And I felt to get them to come up and stand on the platform, one on this side and one on that side, and just hold their hands out over that big congregation of about, I think, 8,000 people in, in St. Louis and, and they held out their hands over that congregation and, and powerful things started to happen in that altar service. I just kind of get out of the way and watch the spiritual fireworks go off. It was amazing. Found out later that almost everybody, almost everybody that received the Holy Ghost that night and there was a bunch of them, they were on the side where Brother Robinette was holding out his hands. It was just the coolest thing. And almost everybody, there were some major miracles that night. Uh, almost everybody that received a healing, it was on the side that Brother Herod was holding out his hands because that's just the way God uses those men in a very powerful way. It's not that Brother Herod never sees anybody receive the Holy Ghost. Of course he does. Not that Brother Robinette ne never sees anybody healed. Of course he does. But those giftings God invested in those great men so that the body could be ministered to and benefited. It's not about them. It's not about them putting that on a business card. It's about God using them for the benefit of the body. And so there's gifts of healing. Then there's the working of miracles. And a miracle, I would say here in this context, is probably everything but a healing. Uh, so, so gifts of healing, but then, you know, how many know that you can get into some situations where it's not healing that you need, but it's still pretty desperate. Anybody ever been there? And you need a miracle. You need God to intervene. And I got good news for you. God can come through. It doesn't have to be a sickness in your body. God can come through in your family. He can come through for your kids. He can come through in your marriage. God can do anything. That's, that's the working of miracles. And then finally, uh, the gift of faith. Uh, Brother Stone King is probably the best example I know of this. Uh, he'll get up. Uh, did, did anybody notice Brother uh, Gleason and I have this running joke because Brother Stone King preached at their church many times. He's preached here many times. And Brother Stone King has this message. He, he, he titles it, Tonight I'm going to preach things I've never told before. Anybody heard him preach that? Things I've never told before. He's preached that here like three times things I've never told before. Brother Gleason said, yeah, he preaches that a lot at our church, things I've never told before. So, so we have this running joke, you know, Brother Stone King's going to come preach things I've never told before, part 67. And, but, but that's the thing about Brother Stone King. He just gets up and he just speaks the word of God. And because God uses him in the gift of faith, Faith just starts to rise up in the congregation and things just start happening all over. Brother Stone King is not known for like walking the aisles and laying his hand on people and calling people out. That's not his deal. His deal is being used in the gift of faith. And when faith is released, powerful, miraculous things start to happen. Aren't you glad for spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts that are given and invested in the body of Christ? Uh, so uh, let, let's, let's head to the, the end here. So Paul, he explains kind of what this all is and there's been some issues and problems in Corinth. And then he says this, verse 11, but all these worketh that one and the self same spirit, he divides, he assigns, he, he, he disperses to every man severally as he will. God gives gifts to his church severally as he will. Literally, I would say he gives them individually to several individuals, to many individuals. He gives gifts individually as he will for his purpose. Your gifts, whether serving gifts, steering gifts, supernatural gifts, your gifts are as unique as your personality. But your gifts are not about you. Your gifts are about the body. 
And that's why Paul immediately moves into what I would call his spiritual anatomy lesson. And he compares in the next several verses, uh, both the next 20 verses, he, he compares this body of Christ to the parts of your body. And he can't help himself once again, just like he did in Ephesians, just like he did in Romans. He emphasizes the body's got to be in unity for the gifts to operate properly. The body's got to respect our diversity that we're not all the same. We don't all have the same gifts, don't all have the same talents or abilities. The body's got to respect the diversity of the body. And then when the body uh, has unity and they respect its own diversity, then you will have maturity in the body and the gifts will flourish and operate and the church will be blessed. And then he concludes this chapter with these words. Verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. Somebody say, the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So, I, I mean, I've got two questions. You may have four questions about that verse. I've got two. Here's my questions. Number one, what in the world are the best gifts? You study that and you'll find out these are the gifts that happen to be needed for a particular situation. When somebody doesn't have a clue what to do, you need the word of wisdom, not the gifts of healing. When somebody is sick in their body and nigh unto death, you, you don't need uh, diversities of tongues. You probably need the gifts of healing. And, and so that, that's the best gifts. Uh, whatever gifts happen to be needed for that particular situation, whatever can minister to the body right now. And, and that's why Paul says, covet them. Don't just kind of sit back passively and say, well, if God wants to use us in the gifts, if God wants the gifts to operate in our midst, then I guess God will do it. That's way too passive when it comes to anything of the spirit. Paul says, covet. Uh, what he says is set your heart on it and, and be deeply committed to it and have deep concern about it and great desire for it. Covet these gifts earnestly earnestly covet the best gifts. And then he says, and this is my second question, I show unto you a more excellent way. So my first question is, what are the best gifts? My second question is, what is this more excellent way? And you just keep reading into chapter 13. The more excellent way is, and this is what wasn't happening in Corinth, when the gifts are operated in love. And that is the subject of the next chapter. All of the characteristics of love that are listed and expounded on in 1 Corinthians 13, they show up in the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. Love operating for the body of Christ and in the body of Christ, it releases the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives and in our churches and it releases the gifts of the Spirit to operate. God is not gonna use a church in the gifts of the Spirit if there's all this underlying tension and friction and, and fractures and, and all of this underlying mess because that's just dangerous. It gives people these big puffed up proud heads but if you've got people who are humble and they genuinely love the gospel and they genuinely love souls and they genuinely love their church and they genuinely love the body of Christ. God says, I want to use that body of people. I want to pour out on them some giftings. After discussing the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12 and after discussing what really is the fruit of the Spirit all based in love in chapter 13, Paul then finally turns his attention to the government of the Spirit. And this is how the Holy Ghost operates in any public service. So this is the government of the Spirit. You don't need this when it's just you and Jesus because you're just getting your blessing and you're just getting edified by praying and worshiping and, and, and whatever. So you don't need that. But when we're all together and it's a public service and there's everything from established saints to brand new people that don't have a clue about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul said we need some of the government of the Spirit. So we've, we've got the gifts of the Spirit and we've got the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Now we need the government of the Spirit. That's chapter 14. And he just teaches us one principle and I'm closing. I'm not going through chapter 14. I got a couple of verses here. He teaches us that the, the governing principle of the gifts, the governing principle of every public meeting, our main concern should be the edification of the body. 
the building up. That's what edification means. The building up or the edification of the body. Our concern when we are together is always the edification of the body of Christ, not the gratification or the glorification of some individual. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 14 and 12. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, he said, that's good that you want spiritual gifts and you're coveting the best gifts and you're praying for them, but seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Someone say edifying, building up. Uh, verse 26, how is it then, brethren? Uh, this is a wonderful scripture for church services. When you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. And then he says this, no matter what you happen to bring to the table, if you're the one preaching, if you're the one singing, if you're the worshiper in the pew, if you're the server out in the lobby as people are coming in, whatever your gifting is, however you're using it, let all things be done unto edifying. Everyone say edifying, building up. So, uh, here, here's a final principle and final verse. In public meetings, my edification, my edification comes second to the edification of others, especially if those others are younger in the Lord than I am. I'm gonna back that truck up one more time. Beep, 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 and hit you one more time. It's really important, brothers and sisters. In public meetings like this one tonight, like Sunday, like next weekend, my edification comes second to the edification of others, especially if they're new to the church, especially if they're younger in the Lord than I am. My edification. Have you ever been in one of those services? I'm in them all the time. You know, they'll sing some song and it's just moving on me. It's like my song. It's my zone. It's my night. It's my moment. And, and usually for me, uh, I, I'm usually not cartwheeling across the front. I, I'm usually crying is what I'm usually doing when God's moving on me like that. And I'm lost in that. We could sing that song another hundred times. I, I'm not just singing the song endlessly and mindlessly. I'm just in, lost in the spirit. And I really don't care at that moment if anything else happens. I got my blessing. And we sing songs like that. And I'm going to get my blessing. That's a great song. It's probably a little selfish, but it's a great song. Because sometimes that's how people approach church. I'm going to get my blessing right now. I'm going to, you know. Well, that's good. You get your blessing, but don't forget that in a public service, your blessing, your edification, if you're a mature saint of God, Learn to have a radar for other people and make sure that they're getting their blessing too. And they're getting edified too. And that's why Paul said in one place, he said, if I'm sober, it's for your cause. If I choose to pass by that moment when I could just get lost in the spirit and I could forget all about you and it could just be Jesus and me all night long, I think of other people. And if I kind of calm down and go on with this program or whatever. And, and in Pentecost, we got people that are offended either way. You know, if the spirit moves in, there's people that are just mad. Oh, I wish they'd get on with it. Oh my goodness. 15 minutes they've been singing that same song. And then there's other people. It's like you stop to go on because there's guests here and visitors and they don't have a clue what's happening and you need to preach something to them. And it's like, man, you shut down the spirit. <laughs> it's unreal. It's unreal. You know, my favorite in the whole church body of Christ is the intercessors. And we got some great intercessors here and I love intercessors. And we actually have like, like normal intercessors now, but, but I've been in churches between the North and the South pole, the East and the West where intercessors, like they're, they're lost in the ninth heaven two seconds after we begin prayer meeting. And when you try to call people back for focus prayer, so the body can pray together, they're mad. Pastor's not spiritual. These people aren't spiritual. We only been praying for an hour and a half. <laughs> See, that's their gifting. And they're thinking about their gift and not the edification of the whole body. Somebody say edification. One more verse and then we're out of here. Any gift or ministry that doesn't focus on building up will eventually tear down. Any gift no, any ability, any talent, any service to the church, any gift that doesn't keep a focus on building up, edifying, 
will eventually morph into a something that tears down. I don't care if that's somebody that's mightily used in supernatural gifting. If they are not focused on edifying the body and not just gratifying and glorifying themselves, if they don't focus on building up, even those gifts can eventually tear down the body of Christ, no matter how spiritual it appears on the surface. And Paul ends chapter 14 with these words, and I'll end Bible study here tonight. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, and I hope some of this has been helpful to you. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, some people have that on their fridge, posted on a magnet, because to them what that means is let everything be dead and routine. That's not what it means. Decently and in order in the Holy Ghost is different than dead and routine. Decently and in order, that's what happens in an apostolic service. It is guided by God's word. It is led by the Holy Ghost and it is submitted to the godly leadership that God's given us and we let the Holy Ghost flow like a river and descend like the rain and burn like a fire. And if we do that, then God allows the gifts of the spirit, supernatural gifts, steering gifts, serving gifts to edify his body. Now, Paul's main subject here was the supernatural gifts of the spirit. And they're the ones that we have the most challenge with. They're the ones that can be the most misunderstood and the most misused. But can I tell you, as we enter into fall of 2022 and pastor has got ministries coming to not just be a blessing to us, if you could ever get your mind off that, well, good, we're going to have a great weekend. It's going to be a blessing to me. We want it to edify the body and we want it to impact our city is why we have all of those things happen. It's not just a preaching contest or a, you know, I'm going to get my blessing. It's not that. It's about something far greater. And if you join pastor, and I know that you do, I'd like you to join him and me and all of our staff and all the great people in this church and people that are watching online tonight. I'd like you to lift up your hands right now and say, God, I sure want to be part of an end time revival where the gifts of the spirit operate. Now, some of you, you are intercessors and you could dive into prayer right now and I wish you would. Some of you, you're just faithful saints, but you know what it is to intercede and I wish you would because the one thing we need more than anything else is something to happen at CCC that we can't explain. We need something to happen that our city can't explain. Oh, that's just their enthusiasm. We need more than enthusiasm. We need the gifts of the Spirit to operate in our midst. We need miracle signs and wonders in the name of his holy child Jesus we need God to move and things that nobody can argue with it's just a miracle nobody can argue with it's a healing when the doctors gave up I love to see that walker that's usually back there with brother Larry I like to see that thrown on an altar sometime this fall I love to see somebody that they have struggled and struggled and struggled to get a healing I love to see them deliver and I think you feel like that and we're heading into fall we're just about finished with summer we're heading into fall it's a time when we regroup it's a time when pastor is challenging us I wish you'd stand to your feet right now because you feel it I wish you'd extend your hands and let's close Bible study with just a little prayer we're not going to take a huge long time but I wish it could be intense enough that it feels long I wish it could be loud enough that it feels long I I wish you just let your spirit, let your words, let your prayer, let your desire ascend to the ceiling. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on our church. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on this body of believers. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on the city of Fredericton. Let the spirit of the tent revivals in the 1920s, let it happen in the 2020s. Lord Jesus, fall fresh on us. Fall fresh on us. Fall fresh on us. 
Take a minute and just give yourself to God in prayer. Just give yourself to God in desire. Man, I feel that. God, let the spirit of those tent revivals on the Woodstock Road in the 1920s, let that happen in the 2020s on the other side of town on Downing Street. Much nicer sanctuary, much nicer PA, but the same spirit. Jesus, let it fall. We don't want to be so sophisticated that we miss it. We don't want to be so busy that we miss it. We don't want to be so content and apathetic that we miss it. Let it fall. Let it flow. Let it rise in the name of Jesus. If you've never been in a revival like that, you may be new to CCC. If you've never been in services quite like that, that's okay. God would like to show you what he's all about in the gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't matter if you've only been part of this church for five days. God would like to use you right in the middle of a revival like that. If you're standing beside anybody that's your friend or your family, would you take their hand? Could we lift every hand in the room? Could we lift every voice in the room? Could we just shake ourselves just a little bit in the spirit? Shake ourselves just a little bit in the Holy Ghost. Come on, CCC. You love the moving of the Holy Ghost. You love the Spirit of God. You love revival. You love to see people born again of the water and the Spirit. Well, we need God's help. It's a different kind of a day. It's a treacherous age. There's all kinds of opposition spiritually. But if we have the help of the Holy Ghost... In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I want the voice of our pastor just to pray over us as we close, but I'd like you to continue to lift up your voice in this sanctuary.